Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 57 with Ramit Chawla of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Godin, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and good night. My name is Nathan Chan. I am your host coming to you live from Melbourne, Australia, and this is the Founder Podcast. Uh, got another exciting episode in store for you guys with the one and only Ramit Chawla. And uh, for any of you that has ever thought about creating an app or just want to know what it takes to create a business that goes viral, that spreads like wildfire, you know, Ramit's the best person that I've spoken to on this topic his company fueled, uh, these guys are so popular, they actually reject people to to make apps for. They actually choose now who they want to work with, which is insane. They've built apps for American Express, Coca-Cola, Chicago Bulls, Wendy's, whole ton of other people, whole ton of amazing companies. And Ramit's just an absolute master at mobile apps and really, really understanding the marketing behind them and the components of what makes a successful app. So this is a really interesting interview and I'm really, really excited to bring this one to you guys. Before we jump into this one, I just want to mention something really interesting and that is uh, before I jumped on this interview when I was interviewing Ramit, uh, I actually remember that I called him up and he didn't even know this interview was happening and it was really funny because he just finished, you know, a party or something and it was like 10 PM and I was like, Oh, look, do you want me to call you back? And, uh, 
He said, because he just finished up with the party that he was at and he was going to just walking back to the office. I said, do you want me to call you back when you get to the office? And he said, oh, no, actually, to be honest, I would prefer if you, we continue with this interview because I won't be able to do anything except I've got my phone with me while I walk back to the office. And it's about a 20 minute walk. So I found that really interesting because it just shows, you know, Ramit's a super successful entrepreneur. He runs a co-working space, a very, very successful agency. And I just found that really, really interesting that he manages his time like that. And uh, something to think about, guys, you know, when you're in transit, there's all sorts of things you can be doing instead of, you know, texting people or whatever. Um, So something to think about. Anyways, enough from me. Hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump into the show. Well, look, firstly, thank you for taking the time to speak with me. Are you able to give me a run through on how you got your job in a quick roundabout way? It's an interesting question. So I did, like I created my job more than I I got it. And uh, I kind of created my dream company uh, while doing that. And I guess the easiest way to phrase how I did it is I kind of just did it went all out and did it. It was, uh, it was, it was a risky move. I, I had a professional career in uh, the finance industry before, and I decided to quit and start my own business. Mm. And I have to say when, like when, when I, when I looked you up, man, you, you, you seem like one of the coolest tech founders I ever seen. I, I really like your style and fashion. Have you always been into fashion and and your your appearance yeah i mean it kind of goes back as far as as far as i can remember it was like kind of ninth grade or 10th grade in high school it's kind of where i can trace back me looking significantly different or dressing different to my peers i guess when i say different i just mean a little bit uh, a little bit more attention paid to it and i think just over the years it just matured i kind of uh, naturally got more comfortable in my own skin, didn't feel the need to impress people or fit into any mold, especially after I left the finance industry. It's actually kind of funny. I always, I always viewed finances and myself working in that industry as a way of uh, containing myself and my appearance. I was like, you know, it'd be crazy if I didn't work in this job because who knows what I would end up looking like. I'm sure I would have scared myself if you showed my old self a picture of what I look like now. It's like, oh, if you quit finance, this is what you're going to end up looking like, like this long-haired, bearded, crazy guy. Um, but, yeah, so I ended up quitting finance. And now, you know, I guess picking my my true look or whatever you want to call it, being myself. <laughs> and I'm curious, do you think that, that that creativity that you have – with with you know the way you dress and the way you look, do you think that filters through to your work? And it's it's something that's always been in you, but you kind of you you express your creativity also through your work. It's kind of got, been a byproduct. I think I think the byproduct is actually how I look and how I dress. So it's kind of, it's kind of the opposite of what you what, what you said. My real creativity comes out in my work, and then the byproduct of that is what I look like and how I dress. And it obviously comes out in how I dress and how I look, because it's. In, but that's the most apparent thing for people. But the real creativity is actually, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's actually in my work. 
so it's interesting for you to ask it in, in kind of the reverse manner. It's just because it's the most obvious to you because you can actually see how I dress. So you can, um, it's easy for you to pick up. Uh, you know, I have an Instagram account and people look at that sometimes. Can we share with the audience some of your accomplishments with your work and Fueled and, and your co-working space just so they can get a little bit of a, a rundown of, you know, the caliber of apps that you've created and, and the kind of big range clients you've worked with? Sure thing. I mean, there's a... Uh... Kind of an even, almost an even split. I see maybe a little bit more on the startup side uh, of my clients. Majority of my clients are U.S. based, although we do have some in Europe. And let's see. Um, one of the big pushes that we initially got is we built one of the first augmented reality apps, and it won a bunch of awards um, in an ad age and a couple other technology and innovation awards. That was kind of the first push that, that we got. We worked on another product called Urban Daddy. And that also probably won the single most amount of awards that we've gotten out of one, one app. And that bolstered the company as well. And since then, we've, um, you know, we've done applications for Starbucks, for car companies, for uh, Ducati, for Porsche. We've done uh, just a, a range of larger brands products. Uh, we did all the stuff for Barney's Mobile as well, which is a, a fashion retailer. I've done stuff for Uniqlo, which is another fashion retailer. And then uh, if you look at the other end of the spectrum, which is uh, with the startups, we have worked with uh, most recently QuizUp, which is a popular app. I think they're above 20 million active users right now. And then we did Afterlight as well, uh, which is another product that we built fairly recently in the startup space. So like it's just kind of a range. We also have... An incubator in New York, which houses over 35 startups, uh, around 20,000 square feet in Soho. And so that's another thing uh, that we have is just kind of like a side project. Uh, and of course, my main business is the consultancy that builds mobile applications, both uh, Android and iOS. And uh, our largest office is in New York and our second largest is in London, followed by Chicago. And uh, we have two other external offices. Mm, wow. I'm curious, I'm all about trying to find out from extremely successful founders, you know, what what our audience can learn from you. So I'm curious, from an app standpoint, what is the, some of the best pieces of advice you could give for anyone looking to create an app, looking to create something that people want? Yeah, so in the app market, it's really tricky. Um, a lot of people have ideas for specific types of products. They come to us and say, hey you know, fueled, uh, we want to build this and it's going to do X, Y, and Z. Often some of those products uh, have already been built in the past, potentially have failed. And so we kind of shine a little light on that. Uh, sometimes there's technology limitations on what can be done and there's reasons why a product would fail. Uh, should they go down that uh, route? And then, and then there's, of course, the ones that haven't been built yet. And there's uh, often a reason why they haven't been built occasionally you get an idea where it's just like, okay, cool, we can test it out. Like we don't actually know, no one's done it before, but it's possible to do. Let's, let's go down the route of, uh, of building it and see what happens. And so the general advice for people uh, that are about to get into the industry is to attempt to build whatever they want, whatever that app is that they're dreaming about, build the first version as cheap and uh, as quickly as possible. And what that means is, uh, do the smallest version. I mean, in the industry, we call it an MVP, uh, a minimal viable product. And that term gets thrown around a lot. 
Mm. But there is a lot of credit to it. There's a lot of benefit to building out a prototype and then making the prototype a little bit more feature-rich and then designing the prototype a little bit better. And then it kind of hazes. It's, it's kind of hazy between is it a prototype and is, or is it a, you know, a beta release? And, you know, is it a beta release or is it the first version? And you kind of just keep on building on an initial framework and slowly kind of just invite more people and just see how users interact with your app as opposed to spending several months designing and architecting a gorgeous app and then building the entire thing out and releasing it without ever really having anyone use it besides the team working on it. That's just a very dangerous thing. The thing with this industry is you never really know what people are looking for. You have an idea, and normally that idea will change and twist itself, if you're building it right, into something viable. But the only way you're giving the product a chance to do that is if you build and release something and then play with it and get people to play with it and then test something else out and test something else out and slowly tweak it until you see that there's um, one kind of set of features that just resonate with people. And then you say, okay, cool. I think I figured it out. And I'm going to kind of flesh out that combination of features so that it's scalable. And then you just uh, use growth techniques to, to get more people to download it. And if your metrics are right, then you can kind of sit back and just watch it grow. Yeah. It takes a lot of work to get there. But once you, once you're there, you can see it. There's 101 things you have to do while the app is growing to continue to let it grow. But, yeah, I mean, the hardest part is the beginning. And a lot of times what we see is founders end up spending a lot of money on their first version and they're only testing out one concept when they need to test out several. So would you say one of the common denominators between the successful apps that you've worked on is you guys are always facilitating and, and you know, getting user feedback constantly? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely um, one of the things. I mean, there, there's kind of, there's a little bit of contention with, um, with how to get user feedback. I think there's a right way of doing it and a, and a wrong way of doing it. I think a lot of times, and we've heard this before, we hear this a lot with Steve Jobs and Apple, that users don't know what they want. Same thing with, with Henry Ford's quote on, uh, if I listen to my, Customers, I, I'd be, you know, uh, I'd have uh, a carriage with just more horses. And, I w- I w- you know, just would have never invented a car, for example. But I, I think there's, there's validity to that. There's also validity to seeing how users interact with an app. So you just have to frame your questions appropriately. So you, you can't ask a user what they're looking for. You have to build something and see if they like that thing. Like, does that provide value to them? Typically, users don't know they want something until they have it in front of them and they use it and they like it. So you have to be careful with the feedback. Um, you can't say, oh, well, you know, what, what, what will you change, stuff like that. That's really often will be misguided feedback or which feature would you add that often would be misguided. Because, again, which feature would you add would be let's add more horses to the carriage instead of, you know, I, I want an automobile. So you can't rely on users for innovation. You have to do the innovation yourself and then just see how the users react to it. And so that, that's the big difference. And so a lot of people sometimes listen to user feedback, but they're listening to users telling them what, you know, what features to add. That's really dangerous. Uh, a lot of the products that you've seen succeed in the technology space have kind of adhered to almost specifically not listening to what 
users tell them to do. Instead, just looking at how users behave once you give them something that you think they want. Mm. Oh, this is really good. Um, can we, I'd like to delve a little bit deeper on this. And would you be able to give an insight on how many users for a specific app, like an MVP that you launch, you would get feedback from and see how they play with it? Like what's your sample size? Yeah, I mean, the normal sample size, like the average is just 500. Like 500 is, is large enough for you to see how users are using it. You can go larger and you can get users from, you know, any specific targeted demographic that you want to go after. You can kind of just buy those users uh, in a way, meaning just buy kind of display ads, get people in the app and then see what happens. You can see what happens from analytical tools or um, some people actually just look over new users' shoulders to see how they actually play with it. So it's it's on a very uh, kind of personal one-on-one level where people will watch someone use an app and just see them and kind of infer their thinking process or just have them talk out loud while they use an app. And a goal is to, the goal is to see how people how people react to something as opposed to asking them what they want. Mm. Um, and that's a big difference. And so if you can get someone to use a new app or you get, you know, 30 or 40 people to use a new app and they use it in front of you and you're looking over the shoulder and they're just constantly telling you what they think, not again, not giving advice, just like seeing what their thought process is while using it. So you don't have to guess. You're kind of just like kind of peering into their mind while they use the app. Uh, a lot of the apps are successful. They, they have like the correct psychological triggers. So it isn't so much as to solve a problem. It's to solve a problem in a way that clicks with users. That's the, uh, that's like kind of the secret sauce. And there's no defined way of figuring that out. So that's why you have to test and iterate in order to get to a place where you potentially could have figured that out. Uh, and then when you see how users react and it's, it's the way that you had hoped, yeah, then you might have uh, you might have got it. This is great. I'm I'm curious. How do you know when you found that fit, that product market fit? Yeah, I mean, you you kind of there's a couple of things. I mean, a lot of people use the term like viral loop. There's there's like technically a, a viral coefficient that's um, kind of defined, and again, it depends on the goals of your app. So each, each one's a little bit different. But if your goal is just a ton of users and for people to share and by sharing, that's a success. That means that they find value in it. If you can get a coefficient greater than one, then you have automatic virality of your app. So it's it's kind of a com. It's a super simple concept, but it's a little bit complex to actually make it work. Um, so the concept of a viral loop is for every person, for every new person that uses the app, that you get any number higher than one uh, additional using the app and any number under one, if your coefficients under, uh, under one, eventually you'll, you'll die out. So it doesn't matter how many users you buy, say you bought 500 users, you know, that 500 would then bring in, if it's under one, not more than 500, it would bring in something less than 500, say you bought 400 users, which is what 80%. And then that 400 users would bring in 80% of, of that, which is what 320 users. And then those uh, those new 320 users would just bring 80% of that. But eventually it would die down, right? You can kind of see it going down. But if you can bring 505 users in, 
So you start off with that initial 500 that you bought. And if your uh, viral coefficient is greater than one, then, you know, the next round, like 505 come in. And then the next round, it's like 510 come in. So what you end up seeing is it ends up just constantly growing instead of dwindling. And I could dive more deep into why um, when you hit it, it doesn't ultimately continue to grow instantly. Uh, your coefficients change over time. After you've saturated a market, it'll reduce to one and then below one, uh, in which case you'll uh, it'll, it'll kind of die out. And then you might have to tweak the product or you might have to go after a different demographic to then change your coefficient. There's there's a lot there um, to ultimately make something successful, and which is why really you have to be dedicated to a product because uh, you have to constantly look at these numbers and think about how you want to accomplish uh, and solve the problems when there's no guidebook per se. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell. I'm curious, in it, when it comes to tools and analytics, what, what tools are working for you guys that you like to use? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. We've gone through so many in the years that I'm blanking right now on which ones we use actively. But any type, I mean, what we've used and leveraged Google Analytics in the past for for data consumption and, and analyzing things. But any any tools that allow you to track users inside of your app um, are going to add value. And it's often less about the tool and more about if you're sifting through the right data and if you're tracking the right things. So I mean, there's a handful of popular tools. And if you use any one of the popular ones, I'm just can blank here on the names right now, they'll they'll give you valuable information. And the real question is, are you setting up the right triggers? Are you tracking the right thing? Are you answering the right, the right questions when you're tracking them? So that's what's more important um, to what you do with the data. Uh, there's several tools you can use to collect the data. What are the core metrics that you sh- should be concerned with? Active users, revenue, monthly, and, and it's make sure it's increasing or, or stickiness? What what? What uh, what are the main metrics that you guys are looking for? One of the biggest things is churn, right? Um, ah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, revenue is important, but it's going to change and it's going to correlate based on the number of users you have. And the number of users you have is really just how much you bought compared to what your churn is. So churn is just how many people stay around or how long people stay around for. And that's really where everything is because if you can have a low churn, you can acquire a user and they stay around and stick around for a really long time, uh, the lifetime value of the user goes up. So if it's a revenue generating product, uh, it's it's less about what you generated this month. Um, but if you were able to retain everyone from this month to the next month, that's an amazing stat. Uh, mm. Because then you know all you really have to figure out is how to get users in because once you get them in, you're going to retain them. So churn churn's super important. So if you can analyze and optimize for a really low churn, that's uh, that's great. Uh, especially in, in the mobile app space. I mean, people open up the app sometimes, a lot of times, you know, take a look at what it is, say, cool, close it, and never open it again. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's so common. I do it all the time. I've got hundreds of apps on my phone. Yeah, exactly. We're getting really technical, and this is good because we've got we're getting a lot of good stuff. Um, next segue would be around. Let's say you you do have some good traction. How do you get more? What's what's like two really good growth hacks or you know customer acquisition strategies that you would recommend 
you've seen a lot of progress with amongst all your clients' apps? Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure if I truly believe in in growth hacks. I think that's something that's been trending for a while now is, is how mm. to get a bunch of users in on something. I think it's great. I think it's it's, it's fun for people to like see their uh, like number of users go up. But ultimately, like after your hacks die off and you you have no more hacks left, it kind of just comes right back down to what it would have come to had you not started all this hacking. I mean, maybe yeah, like after uh, maybe you would retain a bunch of users as a result of all the hacks you did, but it, it's not going to result in like what we had talked about before, like changing your viral coefficient. Um, mm. You can use hacks to get a bunch of initial people in instead of you know buying advertising. But you should only have if you have a good product should only have to do like an initial push and then it, the ball should start rolling and you know you should be able to just virally pick up users and or you've built a sustainable sales team so it, it's it's not just you know automatic so some products you know there's just there's viral uh, a core part of the app is, is something viral and so it's able to acquire its own users but sometimes you just have to you have to do it yourself you have to build a system of acquisition that system of acquisition could be, you know, a BD or a sales team, depending, depending on what the app is and what the business is. But that's sustainable. It's not a hack. It's a sales team. It's a very traditional model or department at a company is, is having a sales team that goes out, researches, targets, and converts leads into clients. Uh, and in this case, it might be users. But, yeah, so I'm not really big on, on growth hacks, per se. I think... If you can build a product that delivers a lot of value and that people really want, you don't have to hack your way into their life. It should be a more normal way of uh, of getting onto their phone. Hmm, that's a, that's an interesting answer. Uh, I appreciate your honesty. Let's um let's switch gears and talk about, I guess you as as a founder. I'm curious, out of all your success that you've had, what do you value the most? Yeah, so it's it's hard. So I guess when you're in, from the outside in, you've hit a point where you've had success. But from my perspective, I'm still building. I've, I've built a decent amount, and I think I think it's only comparatively I, I have success, like maybe compared to the average. But from my perspective, I haven't I haven't become successful because I haven't hit my uh, my goals yet. Not that I'm not hitting my milestones. You know, I'm, I have a good trajectory, but I'm, you know, midstream on my company. I, 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 don't, I don't feel I've, I've kind of made it. <laughs> um, although other people, you know, would conclude that I have. So it, it's hard to, like, pick what, I've, what I value post being successful because I consider myself still knee-deep in a company building I you know, want to do a lot more stuff in Europe that I haven't had a chance to do. I want to do a lot more stuff in New York. Our next move is to kind of take over this building in Nolita. It's a five-story complex. I want to make a big center for startups over there. I'm, you know, potentially signing something uh, in the next couple of weeks to, to get that building. After I get it, I have to build the entire thing out. I have to get sponsors lined up. I have so much ahead of me. And there's so many risks involved, uh, even just in this one building venture that I'm talking about. I'm going to be risking a ton of capital, and who knows if it's going to work out. Uh, it might totally blow up in my face, or it might be great, and you guys will hear about it and interview me about that. I, who knows, but I, I'm, 
I'm so focused on like the the several projects that I'm on, the projects that I'm also doing for clients, the apps that I'm building for them, and all the stuff that I want to do for Fueled that I don't necessarily consider um, or even have time to sit down or ponder about uh, my past successes. <laughs> oh, okay. Interesting. Um, look, we have to work towards wrapping up. A couple more questions. One, to, to build the agency that you've done in the time that you've done it, you must have some really key people skills, you know, getting clients, acquiring clients, making friends, networking. What's your number one tip for getting ahead, you know, networking as an entrepreneur, building core relationships, bringing on clients? Yeah. So I guess my number one tip is um, being brutally honest. I think a lot of times when we're pitching clients, uh, a lot of people that we compete against, will attempt to tell the client what they want to hear. We don't adhere to that. Uh, we just tell the client the brutal truth. And I, I say the brutal truth because you can tell the client the truth and, and it's in some ways sugarcoating it, or you can just tell them like what's really happening and what you think of them. And in some context, people might take that as an insult, but we've seen success from it. A lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll talk to a client, say they, they have some existing technology and a competitor might say, oh, yeah, we, we'll be able to work with that. You know, whereas we would typically say, hey, well, it's probably really shit. So we're probably not going to touch any of it. Uh, and we're not even going to entertain the idea of working with um, data technology. Whereas someone else might try to court them a little bit more and say, hey, like, you know, maybe that's something we can do. And I think the bluntness kind of just gets to a solution faster instead of just talking about ways that we can integrate something. It's like, hey, we're not going to do that, but this is how we're going to solve the problems. And it just kind of cuts all the BS out of the sales cycle. We actually don't even have any sales guys because sales guys just use too much BS. Part of our product team is, is just the ones that take sales calls. And the product team just happens to know all the products that are out there, knows what works, what doesn't work, is very comfortable telling the lead, hey, like, we don't think that that's viable. So, you know, thanks, but no thanks. We get around uh, 120 approximately leads per week. Um, we can only take on one to two. So uh, there's, there's kind of a natural selection there that happens in terms of if someone has uh, the, the budget to be able to hire us and then if the team is excited about what they're working on. So we're, we're fortunate, we're lucky that we have so many people knocking on our door, asking us to build things, and that we can kind of cherry pick the ones that are appropriate for us to work on. Last question, I'm really loving this conversation. You, you've, always, you've, you've been at the forefront of this app space. I'd just like to really hear where you see it going. Is it a bubble that's going to burst? What, what are your thoughts now that Steve Jobs isn't around? Like, what, what, what's your take? I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's really like you can just you can see the start history. Mobile is just one other platform for technology. Bubbles, bubbles are interesting. The classic form of a bubble is is exuberance. So it's when you can't value something and there's uh, uh, just an, an exuberance of capital that goes into something that over, overvalues it, and then. Once you have exuberance, then then you know there's there's a burst. I don't think we're I don't think we're there. I, I don't I don't see that happening. You know I 
I don't think that there's a bubble. I think that there's technology. And right now, a lot of users are using mobile. And so there's a lot of investment in mobile. And as usual with technology investments, you know, there's going to be a large failure rate. And then there'll be a couple that really succeed. As far as where is it going? Uh, right now, I mean, it depends on what term we're talking about. Or we're talking about kind of in the future, not like where is it going this year. You know, I think I think mobile is, again, just one platform. And, you know, we used to focus on desktop, and now we talk about mobile. And, you know, next we might talk, we'll probably be talking about another form factor. I think that the way mobile devices are shaped, they're not particularly ideal. I think they are the way they are just because that's, what we're able to build right now with uh, with like hardware limitations. But I think in the future, those limitations are going to go away and we won't have to hold a phone to our ear and uh, it'll be a lot more visual. And so I think it'll take new form factors. I don't think we're necessarily going to call it mobile. Maybe we'll come up with a new, new name for it. Or mobile will just stick, but it won't be uh, you know a, a rectangle that we hold and look at and put up to our face. Again, it, it depends on which timeline you're talking about in terms of when you ask the future of, of mobile. If you're talking about this year, that's a totally different answer. Mm, yeah, no, I, I guess I guess long long term, not not so much this year, but like I guess you know wearable techs coming in, this VR stuff you're starting to spring up. Like, I was just curious on your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, every, everything is going to change uh, in the future, but then everything's also going to be very similar. There's going to be still a ton of innovation. Um, nothing's really going to go out of fashion. There's just going to be new things that come in that kind of redefine what, what that fashion is. You know, right now we call it apps, and they exist on a phone, and they're a little square icon. In the future, they'll be a little different, but they'll still be apps. And so my hope is to be able to associate myself more to kind of innovative technology development rather than just mobile, because... You know, and whenever we do make that extra leap into a new form factor, you know, that's what our expertise really is in, designing and developing technology products. They just happen to take the shape of mobile apps right now because that happens to be the shape when someone thinks of a new business idea, they're thinking of it in normally a mobile context. Uh, as opposed to 10 years ago when they thought of a new business idea, it was normally thinking on uh, the context of it living on a website. Uh, a desktop website. So we've changed now to, to mobile, and in another 10 years, we're probably going to change, and it's going to exist in a different form factor. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll be there uh, building on, on those new form factors as well. Oh, well, look, I, I just want to say thank you so much for, for speaking with me, Ramit. Thanks, Blake. My pleasure. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview as you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.